Welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast, where we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authenticity and storytelling. Our goal is to foster a healthy dialogue about race relations in our community. We seek common ground for common good and hope these conversations encourage you to build authentic relationships outside of your race or comfort zone. This season of the podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Oklahoma City Black Justice Fund. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. I'm your host, Waylon Cubitt, joined here by my friend and new co-host, Mackenzie Magnus. You've heard her on a couple of episodes already, and we're so glad you are here listening with us today. Yes, welcome, and we are excited to bring you a conversation today about green innovation, entrepreneurship, perseverance, and how the dynamics of race have impacted the journey of a trailblazing inventor right here in our community. We are so excited today to welcome Sharina Perry to the podcast. Sharina is the founder and inventor behind Utopia Plastics, a plant-based alternative to traditional petroleum-based plastic. Sharina, welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Let's get right into it. Thank you guys for having me. This is going to be so much fun. Neither one of us know you very well. Uh, And we're excited to get to know you. Uh, And we have so much to talk about. I just found out. So much more. So I don't think uh, this podcast is going to be big enough. So let's start here. First, tell us, give us a little bit of a teaser about who you are and a little bit about Utopia Plastics. And yes, that's sticks with an X. Yes. That's right. Uh, and what is the very basic overview of the invention you came up with? Just dive in and just give us the basics of that, and then we'll oh, just take it from there. That's that's a lot. That's a <laughs> so lot. I'm, I might have to have you go back a little okay. bit. But no, I, uh, so as you mentioned, Mackenzie, my name's Sharina Perry, and I am the founder and inventor of Utopia Plastics. First of all, there's a lot of power in founder and inventor. Inventor. Y- yes. Inventor. I like, I like Arthur, people? too. Like when people say Arthur, like you just go, oh, ooh. Yeah. Or when they say Doctor, PhD. Yeah. How many people but can founder? say that they're an inventor of something? Boy, come on. Well, come on. I certainly never thought I would be. But, <laughs> right. um, yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, you know, I'm always watching God, mm. so and praying for Him to use me, and that just happened to be in this place in time, and so um, I really my backstory to um, I would say I want to rewind to really just. What I saw as a girl that I I can look back now, people always say, it seems like you knew everything that you wanted to do in your life. And I said, no, you know what I do is in this place and time, I can look back and see how my entire life had prepared me for this Mm. in just... Um, I did a podcast recently, and it was really around the peaks and valleys, wins and losses. And you can look back when you reach a certain point and you understand purpose. Mm -hmm. You understand how God uses you, and it just flows so seamlessly, and it um, everything just makes sense. And that's where I find myself in this place, and I can look back. And when I was a younger, when I was a young girl, I was always really convicted. I, I probably was not really a kid in a way, but because things mattered to me, I would observe things and disparity was one that really bothered me. And it was, I didn't understand why people were hungry and people had an extreme abundance. 
And I don't think if you, as a kid, if you don't have an understanding of that, that you you try to find a ways to still escape that reality. And um, then also understanding how people use those positions to basically lord it over others or take advantage of others. And that didn't make sense. So I would, and did even you, in you, history. Did you notice that? Did you grow up here in Oklahoma? I grew up in New Mexico. Okay. So um, I moved to Oklahoma when I was 14. My dad was transferred. He was in the oil and gas. And I was born and raised in New Mexico. And I was born and raised in a lot of diversity. And I'll admit when I moved to Oklahoma, that narrative was quite different for me. Mm. And I, at a young age, saw too much racism mm. for what I felt like should exist. And um, now when you, I got we got to, because this is United Voice Oklahoma. So I want right. you to be specific about the differences that you saw and the racism that you saw at, a, at 14 as a teenager, the ones that jumped off the page at you with saying, wow, Oklahoma's different. And in, and in what way did it jump off the page? Okay. Now you have to remember, yeah. I'm 14 years old right. at right. that Through time. Those, that perspective is important. And so there were some things that where we moved to a small town, Maysville, and we were the only black family there. Um, we were stopped by the police. Every day we came in and out of town. Hmm. Now, this is the late 80s, and um, that was real. The first people that came to our um, home to meet us were a real estate agent and a coach. And my brother and I were both of high school age then, and it was an encouragement for us to participate in athletics because of what would be the stereotypical view. Well, we were good at it, but it was the stereotypes. We were reminded that the only black family that had lived there before lived in Lindsay and they were burned out of town. I mean, they, their location was burned. We used to actually get in the vehicle and go drive to other communities to try to find people that look like us. Mm-hmm. And um, the real estate agent was there to make sure we moved. If we planned to live in Maysville, that we moved to the right area of town. Hmm. And um, we were this reminded. Is the late 80s. This is the late 80s. And um, we were reminded that of our color regularly, which had not been something I had experienced in New Mexico. And so my dad made the decision to move us to Norman because there was, it was a college town. There was somewhat more diversity. But I will say even going into the high, um, the school there, I was in a mid-high, it still didn't look like what I had known. And you also have to remember, again, I'm going to emphasize I was 14. That's a pivotal time in a child's life to change the environment, the circumstance, the culture that they're used to. it's We're also coming into a strong identity of who we are. But in it, there were some things that happened. Um, I didn't, it seemed very clicky here, first of all. And that was a lot different. Um, so, In that space, it really was, I didn't know where I fit in. It wasn't about necessarily 
color because of the clickiness. I don't care if it was a black group of kids, if it was a Hispanic group of kids, if it was a white group of kids, you didn't fit in because mm -hmm. of people raised together and knowing each other. And so in I was always really driven in school. And one of my teachers, the, in my speech and debate teacher, she encouraged me to participate in a four-way speech contest. It was for the Norman Rotary. Now, I'll give you at that time, the Norman Rotary didn't have any women as part of their organization or minorities, but I became the representative for their four-way speech contest. Here, I'm a young black girl. Check the boxes. In an, in an organization that this doesn't exist. And right. I don't, I don't, there was some things though that I still see so valuable in what their core values were. You know, the questions, is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And will it be beneficial to all concerned? Yeah. So I always take the opportunity when Rotaries invite me in to tell about what that was for me coming in Oklahoma. And then I went through the Tomorrow's Leaders program. I got to shadow uh, Chuck Thompson, who worked with Republic Bank at that time. So here I was in Oklahoma seeing some of these disparities, but I found myself in predominantly white male spaces. Yeah. And it really became more about what does Sharina want? What did Sharina see in her? So I didn't do some of the things traditional kids did. I don't remember wearing a pair of jeans to school. Like <laughs> when I started doing the, the contest in um, where the Rotary, like it was a great deal. You know, to me, it was like a great gig. Honestly, uh -huh. you know, you, I could go and I had already determined, OK, I could win if and money if I got first, second or third. And I just had to do what I did. But I will tell you what I did was in that orator and that speech. I used my experience of moving to Oklahoma as part of um, telling that story. But I started being able to shadow um, Chuck Thompson. I started being able to do certain things like I would shop at Casual Corner, which was like <laughs> way adult. So, so I'm you're wearing, wearing like, like a pantsuit to high school. school. I'm projecting what <laughs> I want to be. To me, it was projecting it. And then my first job wasn't like what you're traditional. I had done a fundraiser for Larry Spencer Chevrolet, and I was the uh president of Students Against Drunk Driving, and we had done a fundraiser. And that summer, I went to work for him at his dealership in the accounting office at 16. So I, I feel like I really had a cool job. But um, I, I never saw, while I know people saw my race, I never saw that as a limit to me. And right. I think it was because of the very thing that so many of our youth miss and because of people's circumstance and situation, people around me still spoke life into me. They saw my gifts, and that was a key part. But I, I always used to tell people, the only time I actually see me when I'm looking at any anything is when I'm looking in a mirror. But when I'm looking at another person, I'm identifying with you. I'm... That see, spirit yeah. in me, I see you. And so that doesn't 
allow me to concern myself so much with me. So you never found yourself, and I want you to tell us about Utopia, but but you never found yourself compensating for what for what the way other people saw you. You recognize that they saw the color. Did you have did you have to compensate so that they see that they did not diminish your value because of what they thought the color meant? I think that that's a reality of more than just color. Mm -hmm. People see disparity in people because socioeconomic status. People see disparity in people because of their um, sexual orientation. So if I wore that mask, and there's a poem by um, Paul Lawrence Dunbar that says we wear the mask, Mm -hmm. and it was really about we also can put on a mask that we uh, deny people the ability to see who we are because we decide that we're going to exist behind those stereotypes and we limit ourselves. So I always, in, in my mind, would try to remove my own mask so that I allowed you to see me. And in you seeing me, what you receive, that's not on me because I'm still me. That's on you. So if you wear this stereotype and this bias and this prejudice against me, that's not my problem. Yeah, but there's a, there's a, and so here we are. I knew we were going to have it. So we, we haven't even got to the utopia. (laughs) But see, now I want to know. Okay. So the, the, that's true. And I think that's a maturity that I have come to, 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 to live in, right? Be my full authentic self and however you take it is on you. But that's a, that's a guy in his fifties. That's a guy that's got a career. That's a guy that's established 14 at 14. Me, I'm not saying, cause you, like you said, you were, you were, I was wearing jeans. (laughs) (laughs) She's wearing a suit pant. Yeah, I was different. I was different. But at 14, I was like, okay, uh, that person is making these certain assumptions about me before I even have an opportunity to present who I really am. And based on those assumptions they're making, uh, good. sometimes they were good assumptions that I came from me with. Sometimes it was positive assumptions that I just had to benefit mm-hmm. from. Right. But a lot of times in other spaces, it was a negative assumptions that I never had a chance to even reveal my authentic self before I was denied opportunity, mm-hmm. before I was placed in a box, mm-hmm. before you know, you know, I was automatically... Okay, you go over there and play basketball. Well, I I don't play basketball. Mm-hmm. I play mm-hmm. tennis. Yep. Yeah. So I was put in that thing and had no authority to do something different. But now, I can I can I can pull my own strings. So were you were you already at this mindset when you um, came to Oklahoma at fourteen? No, no. But I will tell you, I had to decide if I was going to stay there. Yeah. I ran for an office in school that I won. That the parents. And teachers requested a recount and a revote because it didn't make sense that it would have been me. Hmm. So you have to understand you still have to deal with that. So the question is whether I would choose to stay there and let that limit me or where I figured it would figure it out. I will say as minorities, we know that it's there. Oftentimes when our counterparts don't even recognize it or that they're doing it or that it's happening. But I can share with you and show you in a way that doesn't attack you, that it helps you to appreciate that. And then 
I can decide if I'm trying to gain my brother or really create more of a problem. And for me, I wanted to accomplish what I set out to do, but I didn't want to compromise in the process. Sometimes that meant tears, a lot of them. Sometimes, often, often that meant prayer. And there was always someone there that God sent even as a young person, for me being a young person, that helped me not stay there. I've spent my entire career in white male-dominated spaces. I've been told I'm the antithesis of what my industry sees. But you know what? I think you kind of developed this thing, and and I I think I developed a show me, because that was like you know it's I could walk in, and even through this process with Utopia, I could walk into a room and it'd be a meeting, and somebody has a performer, they have a nice projection, beautiful layout, they don't look like me, and they're so ready to give them millions and millions of dollars. And I showed up in the same room with my prototypes, with not only the prototypes, now I've had manufactured products, proof that it exists, all the things, and I didn't get the same thing. And that, I think, as a young business owner, when I I went into business for myself in my 20s, access to resources was a real challenge for me. And so I intentionally did things to reach out to get resources. So I understand barriers of entry. I understand reinvesting. I was doing very well, but I was still having to take everything that I had to re-put it back in. And at the growth points, I went through certain pain points in my industry. I mean, the the market in 2008. Hello. Yeah, I went through right. that, but to have a business survive. And I understand those challenges. I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years. And um, I was talking to you, Mackenzie, and, or earlier I was talking to, um, and I said, the thing in me, I actually, when I was younger in business, I prayed to God. And I said, God, if you help me, I made a deal with him, actually. I said, if you help me, um, I'll take what I learned and I will share it with others freely. And that if you strengthened me and used me, I would make sure that I was fortified, if you fortified me, that I would have the strength to walk into rooms that didn't look like me and feel equipped to be bold enough and leave the door open for those behind me. That it was never really about me because I needed God to show up for me, but he also sent a lot of people that didn't look like me. That if it were a friend, if it were a kind word, if it was somebody that I met, if it was a stranger, he still sent people that he used that never made me exist in the stereotype. And I will tell you, in for a great portion of my career, even in my community, 
That was uncomfortable for me or what I would traditionally say was a black community because there is still the thing that we have. We identify with people that come from and share our same stories, backgrounds, experiences. And so I think we have to start thinking about that more, that am I acceptable and I'm, am I accepting and am I welcoming people that didn't come from my space, Your experience. my experience, didn't have exactly that's, everything. That's didn't the United exit. Voice podcast. That's it. That's right there. So that's it. That's it. <laughs> so Mackenzie, are you, are you, are you, res- tell me how you're connecting as a woman, like hearing her talk about being in male dominated spaces and having to achieve this. How does, how does, when you hear that? I, I mean, it, it, it is, it's interesting to hear some similarities of when I was in middle school, I was also wearing sweat, like suit pants and high heels to middle school. <laughs> it was like, my sister makes so much fun of me for that. She's like, remember when you wore like a whole suit jacket and high heels in seventh grade, but the people who speak life into you and even kind of you're sharing a space with people who don't share your same background necessarily, but there are so many bridges and there's so many people that God uses to kind of bring you and welcome you in and empower you to really live up to your potential. And that's mentorship. That's walking confidently into a space, you know, wanting to learn, but uh, having a little bit of, of confidence too is, it's amazing to me. So how did you get Utopia Yes. Off the ground. Well, I and saw, what is Utopia Plastics? We haven't even really no, because Utopia is a whole other thing, right? Because yeah, there's a lot of things under. We're just talking about plastics, <laughs> right? So Utopia Plastics. Okay, if we go to just what Utopia Plastics was birthed from, yeah. it was really birthed from my why as a vehicle to why Utopia matters and Utopia model, and so um, I was looking at. And I had been observing in my study of plant material, this global issue around that was just kind of put all in front of front of us, this global issue around sustainability. We were also dealing with the climate crisis. And I'm seeing young people really have their voice about it. I have kids and I'm thinking, you know, we are doing some damage. Like it's it's serious. And in our overconsumption, and again, back to when I was younger, this whole thing of disparity, you know, having where some people have so much and then others have so little. And um, in it, I actually was like, you know, we don't really fix problems. What we do is we see a problem, we create a solution but we don't think about the other problems that are caused as a result of it. So it just becomes, we're just fixing that thing in front of us. It's kind of like, I feel like it's fabric that you already know is ripping and going to separate and you go ahead and mend a part of it. But when you put the right person in, it's going to bust anyway. (laughs) I feel like that's kind of what we... We say it in mentoring. We we say in mentoring, and I know it doesn't apply, but, but we say... Uh, young man, young woman, if the solution to your problem 
creates a bigger problem, you really haven't created a solution at all. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. And so this issue around plastic waste, and then you had Starbucks had announced that it was moving away from single-use plastics, McDonald's. These are large consumption companies. I mean, there's a large consumption. In the U.S., we use 500 million straws a day. Okay? So, but you have to remember, companies make those products, for us to use. So while we were, they were announcing their shift away from single-use plastics, it was addressing the issue of that. But what materials would you use? So then it was a shift to paper. Well, paper straws only made up like 1% of the market. And studies were showing they would shift to 25 to 50% of the market. And we watched it move quickly. But how do we get paper straws? Trees. So now you're cutting down the trees. We already have an issue with our forest and we already have carbon that is an issue. Okay, so now we're going to cut down the trees so people can drink out of straws still. So in studying, I had come across plants that could be used as an alternative to petroleum, cotton, and wood. So while I didn't think, okay, I could solve the whole problem, I did feel like I could create something that at least could address a portion of it. And in the study of plants, looking at it even in a more holistic way as to how this model would be developed, okay, now these crops are grown that do good to the environment, for the environment. They absorb carbon. They remove heavy metals from the soil. They replenish nutrients, so they're good for the land. So now a local farmer who, or a landowner who isn't even very familiar with farming could grow a crop. And if he's growing a crop that is continually making part of that 500 million straws, mm -hmm. is he ever going to have to stop growing? And then does that allow more people to participate? Absolutely. But what does that mean when a farmer is growing? Well, he's spending money in local communities. Now you have a local economy moving. You're creating opportunity. So I then saw how we could participate in a greater way from the land and give, actually give and benefit our environment and benefit people. But how do you make it economical? The other part is I had sat down with a company that was shifting to paper products and I had actually talked with the manufacturer. It was going to cost them $2 million to convert their machinery. And so I had also been to Detroit and had done business in Detroit, looking at that area post when manufacturing left, post when the industry, how it changed lives. So for me, it was like, okay. We may move away from single-use plastic, but did we think about the jobs lost from the manufacturer or the cost to him mm -hmm. to do it? He wasn't the one that created the problem. He was the one that did the work. The manufactured the solution. Right. Whatever, and so for me, it was also now, can I create a product that 
that's what led me into moving to plastics because I was focused on the an alternative to paper to not cutting down trees. So it came it ended up being that me kind of running in tandem to hey, I could use this and they had already said they could be used as an alternative to petroleum, cotton and wood in these studies by the USDA. So I was like, well, let me let me use these together and see what I can do. So I had all these thoughts and then one day I'm downtown at McNeely's and I get a paper straw and it's in a clear cup and it starts, particles start floating in my drink. So gross. I hate paper straws. (laughs) I was going to, I can't wait, I was going to ask. I was just in, I was just in, uh, in Florida and I hated the straws. Yeah. I hated the straws. And I was like, so I'm wondering, I don't know what this is. I don't know if this is paper. I think it's paper, but I'm not sure what it is. And then it gets all soggy, and then you can't even drink anything from this Yeah, I knew we were going to talk. I was like, I hope she brings me one so I can decide if that's one of these or not. I have some over you, so I have some in my car. Normally, I have them in my purse, which I might have one or two. But um, the thing is, is so I, um, in creating this solution, um, I made a paper straw or plant straw. In my kitchen. Really? Which so is wild. The best part about it all that I was so surprised. I'm just thinking I'm going to use plants and make an alternative and help some people out, do some good. Mm-hmm. And um, much to my surprise, the straw I made, I had a cup of Sprite and it hardened in it. It was cold. Hardened. My paper straw hardened. Your plant. Base straw, straw. straw. Harden yeah. when I put it in cold liquid. Totally the opposite of what had normally happened. And then, so I'm like, if it's that reaction to cold, then let's check out the reaction to um, heat. So I went and took it over to the pot that I had coated it in beeswax because me and my daughter, you know, we're sitting at, it's really an experiment. I just thought it was really <laughs> cool to do, actually, too. And um, so I put it in the beeswax, get it up to 340 degrees, and it did not break down. So I knew I really had something. So in the article, um, um, I had read an article about Starbucks change or changing over and looking for a solution, but there was a company interview. I made this nice little kit now. Now I've got this prototype. I have the materials or the byproducts of um, the plant. I put together this kit. It gets put in front of the company that's interviewed in the New York Times, and they were like, if you can commercialize it, you've really changed the landscape. And so in August of 2018, um, that straw that I had at McNeely's was made by Aardvark. Aardvark was acquired by Hoffmaster. And they were the largest global producer of paper straws. So I reach out to them and say, if I make an alternative paper, will you make it into straws and test it? Because they had, in the article, they had already had an issue with production because of the cutting down of trees mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the shift, this demand that happened, <clears throat> pardon me, all of a sudden, they already had an issue. So it to me, it was just offering a solution, and I had an opportunity to speak with the person in R&D, and I'm thinking, you could really be the hero to come up with something like this. And so it wasn't my idea to go and compete. I never had the thought of competing, even in the space of plastics. It was to figure out how we can make and use our material to help make 
plastics eco-friendly, which is part of IIP as well. So it's not only using plants to create a polymer, it's using plants to help make traditional petroleums eco-friendly. So that's the fast forward part. But anyway, I um, ended up having a company to make some pulp and then a company make the paper to the specs that Hoffmaster had said they needed. And in um, June, July 2019, they made them into straws and did third-party testing, and it proved to be better. Now, um, the straw that I made in my kitchen was 100% plant material. The paper that I sent to them was not 100%, and I did it intentionally because whenever you have a new material in a market or you're moving or shifting, a lot of times it doesn't make sense. It's not cost effective, especially when you're... And then also we had a market where seed cost is a different type of production. Okay. And um, I, so I used it and it was 25% the plant, 75% traditional wood. So what that told me was I could combine plant material with traditional normal products, the stable products, and create a better product. And so that's what also sparked, okay, I could move into doing this in a way maybe for polymers and then also in the paper space and get enhanced benefits and still have my model where I'm helping farmers. But um, through the journey, um, I was able to get an extremely high plant load and set the bar to now come up with the science and chemistry and file for a broad patent that gets uses plants to make a polymer that can be used in all manufacturing applications of your traditional petroleums. So now a manufacturer would not have to modify his equipment. He might run it at a lower temperature, but he's still getting a good, great, good yield, a greater yield. So this can go beyond straws. Oh yeah. So we this have a everywhere. Now we're yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Utopia Plastics is a plant-based alternative to your traditional petroleums. And it's actually the resins, the pellets, whether it's powder or pelletized, that a manufacturer would take into That's his amazing. facility to, to make a car panel or right, a thermoform sheet or wow. um, whatever building materials. So whatever you think of in plastics, think about Utopia Plastics. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. Now, don't you've got too big brain on me, so I just, but, but I get it. When you talk about car panel, like, guy, <laughs> you start talking specs, I'm just a police officer. Come on now. Don't do that. I'm talking about how fast does a bullet travel. That's all I But you know what that told me is while I saw right. straws, it required for me to get a stable product that I have to had to get a compounded resin, which then opened the door. So that spoke to even in a vision that we may have or what we may see, we have to be opening open to the broader picture that God may have for us in our journey. And if I was so focused on straws, I would have missed the bigger mm -hmm. story wow. and to be able to make a global impact in a way. So we're a resin provider. We're not a straw provider, um, but companies use our material to make like those straws. products. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, and, that's so good. and you kind of started experimenting with this because you were looking into plant-based 
health solutions, right, for your nephew? Yes. So my nephew was diagnosed and was being treated for neurofibromatosis 2, which is an incurable growth of tumors. And I had watched his quality of life completely change because of this. And Mm -hmm. he's 19 years old. He was 19 years old, 30% hearing. Watching, I was a mom. I mean, I'm a mom too. So, but this is my nephew. This is like my son. And my sister is doing all the things a mom would do and flying around the country, calling, meeting with doctors and spanning from coast to coast. She was there to help find a solution for my nephew. And so we're in Dallas and he's in surgery and, um, she was crying and, you know, we're reminding her of the myriad of angels that are there. But she said, Sharina, you have to find a solution. And that, of course, you know, I feel like there's a solution. Sometimes we just don't look enough. Yeah. And... That really became my why. And so Utopia Plastics is a vehicle to really, it led me to start studying, well, in studying plants, I started studying cannabis. And, but, you know, I will say today it did put me in the right spaces because even this week, or I've been engaging with the doctor who has locally, who has a discovery that he believes will help with neurofibromatosis 2 through a treatment. And, like, I'm thankful to God because he became aware of me because of somebody that I met because of the space with Utopia Plastics. And so... Wow. There's no accidents. No. Mm -mm. There's no accidents. We're all Mm -mm. being set up for Mm. his glory, right? Mm -hmm. So the the, the website says, and I like this because there's this this, uh, transferable blessings that happen when you send you on this journey as you just described. But then you're still pulling from it. You're still pulling from it. It's not just about straws. It's bigger than that. It's, it's, uh, It's not just about my nephew. It's even bigger than that. And so the website says... Uh, a goal to help multi-generational minority and disadvantaged families and their communities. Can you tell me the heart behind that goal? You know, <laughs> I know we've been kind of. I will tell you, I didn't know why I was in Oklahoma, <laughs> but I'm like, why am I staying here? My business was yes. nationwide, but there was this pull to stay in Oklahoma, and um, I really just learning the history more of Oklahoma. Like, Oklahoma had the largest amount of minority land ownership in the country. A lot of people don't More know. More than 50 black townships mm-hmm. and cities. And that's it, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. 13 of them incorporated. I've been out and visited every one of them to kind of... I always, though, also had this... I'm going to rewind a little bit. My, sto- my grandfather um, owned land, and he, but he couldn't read. So when I was younger, my grandfather... He called me his little attorney, and he would have me read his documents to him. So he would save the mail and come to our house, or he would have me read his documents. And he literally called me his little attorney. I had no idea what I was reading when I was younger. and um, But as I grew up, 
um, well, what I did observe was my grandfather's reactions to what he was reading. And um, as I grew older, I realized, because he would travel even to Oklahoma, he would save his mail for me to read mm -hmm. his documents to him. And so I understood it at that point. So I would see where he would be, people would attempt to defraud him of what he owned. And he owned quite a bit at that time. He owned land, he owned property. Um, and I think that that part of understanding there was some problems there. Um, just learning that, that, that spoke, that was my grandfather for one, but um, I didn't know it then. Some of the land he did, my grandfather used to go and trade or sell. We called it junking then, but it's really recycling. So I didn't even know. And then I moved to Oklahoma and I met my father's in oil and gas. So I guess that's part of my why. But I was, um, I worked with a family and, or was, became close to a family that was really working to protect their land and keep it in the family. And there was an African, their African American family, and it's a three family. So their family has on Route 66. It was actually the first black-owned business on Route 66 in Oklahoma, the only black-owned gas station on Route 66 in the country at this that is up time. By, uh, it's at Luther, Luther mm -hmm. at yeah, uh, Pottawatomie, mm -hmm. um, and um, Luther. It's right on Route 66, right. but that. Um, in them, you know, making sure they're protecting their family land. But when I was there going through records, even I was learning a lot about the history of Oklahoma and learning also how much land in Meridian area, Arcadia, Luther had been African-American owned land. And I began to wonder why is that gone? Why do they not have that? But then I'm also seeing so much land that the families still have, how the, even these townships existed. 13 ended up being incorporated, but there's no commerce in these communities. And you have even an area like Langston that has a university, but there's no commerce there. But then to go to those towns and learn that they were once really thriving, self-sustaining communities. Then, of course, I learn about Black Wall Street. Right. And um, then it begins to make more sense to me of the things that really mattered to me in I began to, it, it basically began a journey of truth and uncovery and to, um, and then I think it helped me understand why some of the element um, I saw of communities working together was missing in Oklahoma, especially in the black communities. And you see, you see yourself, it, it, is all of this a role in reconnecting or re-identifying that, that, that was, that history? I think that in the history, there was some trauma mm -hmm. that resulted in, like we could look at why people move and behave the way that they move, but let's think about it. The largest state with the largest African-American owned land that had Black Wall Street, yet you still had so many people struggling. There had to have been something or some things that changed that narrative. 
And so while I don't know absolutely my thoughts on it, I could see things and hear stories that probably made me feel like it was pretty true. Um, And then the ultimate affirmation was, if you've seen my logo for Utopia Plastics, that was, I drew that as a girl and it was the tree of life in God's hands opening and satisfying the desire of every living thing. And so when I decided to start Utopia, because when I was younger, I wrote, it was my Utopia, this became naturally my logo. Mm. So when I had the first opportunity to visit Black Wall Street, I standing on Archer in Greenwood, mm. and I look up at the sign, and the logo is almost extremely similar to mine. And it is the tree and roots in God's hands. And um, it helped me understand that the true story of the next or why for Black Wall Street, while we could stay in the destruction, let's think about what happened we had people that had not long come out of slavery that were able to establish a thriving community with over 600 businesses that was self-sustaining, that they could go on and op- and start other communities. That was a lot of it was started from agriculture, but they were thriving. That to me spoke more of resilience on the other side of obstacles and challenges because they came out of slavery. But the other part of after the destruction of Black Wall Street, it was rebuilt Mm -hmm. a couple years later, or businesses were rebuilt. A lot of people don't talk about that part. And they don't talk about that. But that talks about the resiliency and strength of a people. And that spoke more to who I was and why I as a person as we started talking about earlier, never saw myself dwelling in whatever that obstacle challenge was. I had to get to the other side. And I think while Black Wall Street was African-American people, if anything, fast forward to 2020, we all learned a lesson of resilience and overcoming Mm -hmm. despite obstacles and challenges. So that really speaks to us. But Being in Oklahoma makes total sense for me now. Mm -hmm. It makes sense why I saw some of the things that I saw as a young person while I was in certain spaces. And now I see more of my space and my voice and the rooms I'm able to be in um, as part of my opportunity and why to be able to open doors and leave them open for anybody who dares to believe different and dares to think outside of the box or dares to reach into themselves and understand that we each have something inside of us that is our gift. It's our thing. It's our why. It's what is in us that gives glory to God. So um, a lot of it makes sense. So you're going to put Oklahoma mm-hmm. on the map uh, as far as this industry is concerned. 
Oh, absolutely. We completely tend. I mean, I, what's um, the future? What's the future um, for plastics? I didn't, um, when I went to build Utopia Plastics, the resources that I need, my processing, it wasn't, the infrastructure wasn't in Oklahoma. Um, But God always uses the most unlikely thing. It's the Midwest. It's an energy state centered around oil and gas. But Oklahoma has shown up to support me from the Oklahoma Center for the Advancement of Science Technologies to the Manufacturers Alliance to the universities, OSU, OU. OSU has been instrumental in my testing from our legislators, from our Department of Commerce. Um, They've shown up in support agriculture, conservation, and um, what Oklahoma is showing is we're ready for our tomorrow. That as collectively, I think as a state, we want to move forward. We just have to have people bold enough to help us get there. And I want to be somebody bold enough to help us get there. Right. Uh, You're done. I've got chills (laughs) when I think about this. But now, so... I got a challenge. I got to. I got to ask. Yes, Oklahoma has done all those things you said, obviously. But we've 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 seen some news. Mm-hmm. We've seen some stuff after the legislature. We've seen some stuff in the headlines. We've we're not unaware of that stuff, and and it always makes me think every single time I'm where you just stated. We are yes, Oklahoma yes, and then I get I feels like a punch in the gut mm-hmm. uh, at times. I'm so happy that that you're at the table in the room and have the attention. And it feels like you're going to be bold enough to challenge um, the status quo about our stinking thinking about how we have been and where we should be, Um, if if that makes sense. I think that we have to remember that what happens that causes us to get stuck. I mean, you you know, there used to be the narrative and you'd hear people say Oklahoma's 20 years behind the rest of the world. Um, but I think there are some behaviors that we see, too. We have to remove the, I just want to take a seat because I want the title to the point that I really want to make an impact and I want to create change. We can't continue to attack because I can tell you I sit in a space where I hear both sides. I hear the the left and the right, and I hear them loud. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the voice in the middle that has to be able to silence that so that we're not too extreme to one side or the other so that we cannot hear. And that's where I, progress has happened. That's where progress prog- is going to happen progress, in the middle. Progress happens in and the, the middle. And the screaming on both sides is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And it's really interesting mm-hmm. that when you sit down with somebody from either side, one-on-one, and you just talk about the values, you talk right. about the goals, you talk about the big picture— they come closer to the middle. I think Oklahoma Every has time. more people in the middle as we continue to grow. I think that the voice is loud, but the thing about being in the middle, if the voice is loud and you hear it and you understand it, you're willing to hear the one on the, if the one on the left is loud, maybe you're willing to hear the one on the right because you choose to be in the middle. And, um, I can't, what I know is we can't decide that change isn't possible because it's never happened. We just have to be willing and we have to be willing to say, I'm willing 
to start somewhere. I'm going to start making something in my kitchen with my daughter. <laughs> Beeswax on the stove. I see I mean, a problem. We got to start doing something, right? We got to start. I mean, and you know what? It's always easy to shout how things are not working if you're not in the game playing. It's always easy to say, you know, um, what somebody should do. But I, I'm a worker. I'm a worker leader. I'm a worker. Um, and I don't create enemies. But people hear me. And I don't, whether it's religious leaders, whether it's CEOs, whether it's your mom, whether it's a teacher, whether um, it's a young person, they remind me that, I've inspired them and helped them see things or they're willing to hear. And that to me is, I I use the expression of vibration. If you choose to vibrate only down here where there's no change and no activity and stay in those circumstances where you're going to get where you're choosing to vibrate, Mm -hmm. I choose to raise the vibration and try to be in a space to raise the vibration and that vibration is in our thinking and how we see things. So if I can encourage you to see things a different way, if I can encourage you to invite somebody to lunch who didn't come from the same background that you did and sit down and have a conversation, you'll find that we have more in common than you think. It just didn't come in the same box. Right. Mm -hmm. So, what can you expect? What can we expect to, I'm sorry, what what can you expect to happen because Sharina Perry showed up when it comes to uh, race in Oklahoma? Because I know you're talking about youth, you're talking about uh, the disadvantaged, uh, and that's not just black people, that's that's brown people, that's uh, different different sexual orientation, that's a, that, that disadvantaged people speaks of a lot of different kinds of people. But uh, when when God's little kid, Sharina Perry shows up, what can we expect to, to see different in Oklahoma because she showed up? If it's a young child, you're going to expect to be able to dream different <laughs> if we have a conversation. If you are an adult, you're going to be encouraged to lead different, to not stay in your to not use your history of trauma or um, to keep you stuck that you don't realize you can help somebody else. If you're a struggling business owner, you're going to follow me and you're going to find out where the resources are. Um, If you are um, a person that finds yourself discouraged, um, you'll find encouragement. But not to lead you to Sharina, because it's not about Sharina. Mm-hmm. Um, my story, my why, is really about what God delivered and brought me from to his glory. And I think it's the authentic telling of our stories to be willing to own our wins, our losses, our fails, our successes, and share it that is our truth. So you're going to get my truth, and you're going to get an intentional perspective on it and you're going to get what's real and um, hopefully along the way we end up in utopia together. I love it. Eventually, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so 
what's the challenge for our listeners? What's the what's the in regards to how to engage the topic of race? What do you personally want uh, us to tackle as it comes to maybe environmental issues? Environmental. So sustainability isn't just about um, the environment. Sustainability has three core things. It's the environment, our society, and our economics. And so part of that in society, I encourage people to do one thing is to look at where the world is moving. If you're in Oklahoma, you kind of look at where the world is moving. And I encourage you to go into the UN's website. And the UN has what they call SDGs. Um, and those are their sustainable goals. And it's 17. And it addresses the core things that are happening around the world that are even affecting us. Wow. But in sustainable practices to truly be sustainable, you're addressing this issue of equity and inclusion. And that means real representation. That's not putting somebody in a group or doing a study and then saying we've done it. It's intentionally understanding what are the barriers of entry, being willing to own them and say we want to change the narrative. And that may mean we have to change a law because this one over here doesn't match it over here. And we have to be willing to say, let's fight for the right thing. Right. So I challenge Oklahomans or any of them, no matter what space that you're in, to be willing first and open-minded to people that didn't come from the same space that you did. And that includes if, if you're Black, if you're white, I mean, you know, if you're Hispanic, if you're Native American, um, that you be willing to broaden your lens because you're only going to see through the narrow lens. And the second thing is, is change is possible. I think our Generation Z is approving it. That they're, and we can't, we can't transfer our box thinking to them <laughs> and assume that they're moving in the same way. You have to remember they're growing up in diversity and inclusion. They're growing up in social movements. They're seeing it. I champion them. I'll always show up in spaces where our young people are because I'm going to be there to breathe life and cheer and mm -hmm. them on. And I don't want them to settle because we created the problems that they see. And I, I want them to believe tomorrow's different. Mm -hmm. Oh, we can go on. Mackenzie, any final know. thoughts? Come on. I just think it's inspiring to hear your story and seeing how you are obviously just incredibly gifted, incredibly smart. I mean, talking polymers and I mean, I don't, I don't even understand some of the words that you said. <laughs> and, when we turn the mics off, I'm got, I've worked out some words. I'm going to make her exactly. break Exactly. I'm going to Google later. <laughs> but, you know. For, See, I changed something for you. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. For you, you are saying, I've, I've been given these gifts, this vision, this invention and i'm using it to bless others to invest in others it's not just for me just kind of that generosity is inspiring and i just i'm here for it you know the, the thing that I, I that's so much to love but let me tell you what i'm landing on right this second now as we keep going as i drive home i'll find some other things to land on but this is it <laughs> this woman is stepping into leadership she's not sidestepping it 
She's not she's not saying somebody's placed me here. You're saying give me mm-hmm. the role I want to lead. Get behind me. Let's go. Let's make a difference. Let's make a change. Let's let's do something that that uh, when a, a legacy behind that my life was of value while I was here. Because I believe we are better together. We're better mm-hmm. together. We're better together. And you're not you're not kind of. Well, I'll do it if you put me in the committee. You're not, you're not, you're just like, you just said, I'm leading. I'm very intentional. (laughs) I don't just take seats. Right. Everything that I'm involved in is intentionally leading to what I believe to be the core values that make us a better society. Come on. Which are? I believe that the strengths of what make us a strong society exist in our family our health and wellness, our education, and our economic development to make our societies thrive. But ultimately, utopia is leading people to what I believe God had in store for us. Come on. Flourishing of communities. Oh, go ahead. Close the show. I, I know. Before we've, I just, we I'm just going to keep talking to. while you close the show. <laughs> I just show it here. I, uh, I'm so thankful that you came, that you shared your story. I'm excited to drink out of a utopia plastic straw so I don't have little things floating in my drink and just see all that God is going to do through you and through your company and jobs and flourishing. And I'm so excited. So uh, thank you for being here. And as always, we are seeking common ground for the common good. I'm Mackenzie Magnus. And I'm Waylon Cubitt. And this is the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. See you next time. All right. Thank Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Please share the show with your friends and family. It really helps us to get the conversation out to more people. This podcast is a production of United Voice Oklahoma, one of the initiatives of the Stronger Together movement and is produced by OKC Good. This current season is made possible by the generous support of the Oklahoma City Black Justice Fund.